0: would you pray with me please? Lord, I'm grateful for a new season, a start over. I'm thankful for this scripture reading about the future. Lord, I ask that you'd help me as I preach now and for each one of us to renew our devotion to you. I pray it in your holy name. Amen. You may be seated. Well, I hope you'll indulge me this morning. I'd like to begin with uh, something somewhat childish, a game. I want, I want to play a game with you, a game that you probably haven't played in many years. It's the game Simon Says. Okay, you know the game. If I say Simon Says, then whatever you, comes next, you do that. If I don't say Simon Says, you, you don't do that. Okay, so um, we're, we're going to begin just with just like pointing and stuff like this. So we'll, we'll begin with our pointer. So get your pointer ready. You already failed. I didn't say Simon says, get your pointer. All right, let's try again. Simon says, get your pointer ready. Simon says, touch your nose. Simon says, touch your head, touch your ear. Oh, that was pretty good though. Only one or two of you. I'm not, I'm not real good at, at doing this. Let's, let me try one more time. Okay, get your pointer ready. Oh, I just got you. <laughs> I'll stop there. So here's the point of the game. You've got to stay totally focused on only one thing, the word Simon says. And if you get distracted, you lose, and then, of course, with it comes shame. You feel foolish, right? That's why I start with this game today, because Jesus is coming back. He is going to return. This is the one thing that you have to stay focused on, or you will appear foolish, is what the Scripture teaches us. We don't want that. Now, Advent is the Christian year's beginning. It is New Year's Day, if you will, today. So Happy New Year. And it's a chance to do over, to start afresh, to renew your commitment to Him. And I want to begin by saying it's a time to renew your focus on the Lord. So I wonder, just personal inventory, what have you been focused on lately? Where's your thought life been? What is eating up all your time? What are you spending your resources on? What is consuming you? And I wonder... When was the last time you thought, today could be the day? Jesus could come back today. I'll confess I haven't thought that in quite some time, so I'm grateful for Advent. It reminds me to listen for Simon Says, if you will, right? He's coming back. Now, Advent focuses on the coming of our Lord, both of them. So uh, the word Advent means coming to or arrival, and it focuses on the first coming of Jesus when he He came, which is why we process the gospel out. The word became flesh and dwelt among us. Jesus actually came to this world and lived among us. And then he says he will come back again at an undisclosed time in the future. It literally could be today. It might be another 2,000 years. So the message is stay awake. Be ready for it. Stay focused on that truth. But the world, the flesh, the devil, everything is vying against us staying focused on that. It wants to get our focus on anything but the Lord's rule. So, um, it's an opportunity to renew that. Now, Advent is weird in that the first two weeks of Advent, today and next Sunday, focus on the second coming of Christ, the future coming, and then the third and fourth weeks shift more to His first coming, His incarnation, the birth narrative, all the Christmas stuff. So, today we're actually looking ahead to something that hasn't happened yet, So Matthew 24, it's on page 830 in the Pew Bible. It really doesn't matter which year we're in in the lectionary. Year A happens to be the year, but year A, B, or C, if you know how lectionaries work, they all take us to the same text. It's just this this year, it's Matthew's version of it. Next year, year B, it'll be Mark, and then it'll be Luke. And so this year, we're in Matthew's version of what is known as the Olivet Discourse. That's a fancy way of saying Jesus taught them from the Mount of Olives. But it's significant because in Matthew's gospel, there are five big blocks of teaching. And there's a little signature at the end that says something like, when Jesus had finished all these sayings, dot, dot, dot. Five times that phrase or something very similar is there. And there's a big chunk of teaching right before it. The first one is the Sermon on the Mount, where Jesus saw his disciples went up on the mount. He sat down in the posture of a rabbi, and then he gave three chapters, Matthew 5, 6, and 7, three chapters of teaching. There are several other discourses like that, and this, the Olivet Discourse, is the last one. Jesus pronounced judgment on Jerusalem, a lament over the city as being a city that stones those prophets sent to it and kills those that God sends, and the disciples comment on how glorious the temple is, and Jesus says it's going to be thrown down, and then he walks out of the city and goes over across the valley to the Mount of Olives hence all of that discourse. He sits down with his disciples, and he gives three chapters of teaching. We read just part of chapter 24, but it's really a block of three chapters of teaching. And so, it's a big teaching, and all of it is focused on what is to come. Now, um, it's really helpful because it answers the question, where is history going? What's the future hold? Is history just circular. Like some people say, we're just repeating the same sins, same things over and over again. You know, the saying, what you fail to learn about history, you're doomed to repeat. Well, is that what you think? Some people think there is no future. You just live, and when you die, you're done. That's it. And everybody just, at some point, we're just going to run out of energy, and it's done. But that just doesn't line up with beauty and meaning and love and all kinds of things. There has to be more. We sense there is a purpose to our existence, and it doesn't line up with a a cyclical thing that has no destination or simply a thing that ends. Or maybe worse, the despair of Shakespeare's Macbeth, who says the history is just a tale told by an idiot full of sound and fury and signifying nothing. No, that doesn't sound right to us. There's got to be more. It has to be heading somewhere. So Jesus inaugurated the kingdom of God, and he started something. It's already here present, but it's not yet consummated and he's promised to come back. So here's, here's the truth that today's passage assures us of. Jesus, or let me say it this way, the future belongs to Jesus. The future belongs to Jesus. It's his. Now, there's a fair degree of trust required here by faith when hearing this teaching. We have to, we want to we know what's coming with all the details, and we don't get all the details, And so we have to say, okay, God, can I trust you that you're going to do what you say? I'm going to have to receive this by faith for now because it's kind of murky. And later we'll see clearly, but this is written for now. Much like his first coming, when you read the prophets, it makes sense to us because we're looking at it on the backside of the cross and the resurrection. But those original generations that heard what the prophet said were confused I mean, even John the Baptist said, are you the one or is there somebody else? John was confused by Jesus' ministry because it didn't line up with his interpretation of the prophetic writings. But looking at it backwards, it totally makes sense. So, I'm sure the day will come when way off in the future after Christ has returned, you will get your Bible, which by the way, we will still have Bibles Heaven and earth will pass away, but God's word will stand forever. You will get your Bible, you will open it to Matthew 24, and you will read it and go, oh, now I understand. Unfortunately, we don't have that vantage point just yet. But thankfully, we have what we need because the Lord has given this to his church. So let me say this about apocalyptic writing. This, is, this, this genre is apocalyptic writing. It's picking up ideas from, like, Daniel's prophecy in the Old Testament, which had visions and dreams, or the book of Revelation is apocalyptic, it's hard for us because it tends to shorten and pull together something that's in the near future with something that's in the very distant future, and it sees it as one thing. That's why John the Baptist was confused about Jesus bringing the kingdom. He thought it was both the inauguration and the consummation at the same time, and it turns out there's a big gap in between. And so the apocalyptic tends to pull those things together. It also sometimes disregards chronological order, and it will say things several different times starting back at the beginning over and over again. So you have to, you have to sort of suspend your linear thinking because apocalyptic genre doesn't do that well. And then with all the symbols and metaphors, you've really got to do some thinking and study. Back earlier in the chapter, When Jesus was talking in uh, verse 16, he says, when you see the abomination of desolation spoken of by the prophet Daniel standing in the holy place, and then it says in parentheses, let the reader understand. Like Jesus' words here are saying, hey, go back and read Daniel, understand, think about what the abomination of desolation is. It was probably referencing something horrible that happened about 200 years before Jesus' earthly ministry in the temple When a foreigner came in and erected a a temple, like an altar there, and sacrificed a pig and did all kinds of horrible things in the temple court, that happened about 175 B.C., he's referencing that and using it as a lens to say the temple is going to be destroyed again. Other things are going to happen, and then he's, he's shortening the timeline. So it gets very confusing to us. Now, the passage we read today, the ESV heading says, the coming of the Son of Man. But I want to ask you this question. Is it the first coming or the second one that he's talking about right here? Now, what's confusing further is in, in in part of our reading, verse 34, it says, he says, truly I say to you, this generation will not pass away until all these things take place. And he had just described the Son of Man coming on clouds, being given dominion, and the angels collecting up the elect from the four corners. The church has oftentimes saw this as his future second coming but it doesn't make sense when him saying this generation won't pass away let the reader understand for advent we've got a devotional out there looking at the names of jesus and in fact for children our team has put together um, some in the children's thing back there some ornaments that they can color with different names of jesus on them jesus's seemingly favorite name or title for himself was son of man he talked about himself in the third person as the son of man And this is a direct reference to, first, his humanity. He's born of a human mother. He was fully human. But he's more than just a son of man. He's also the son of God. But it was a reference back to Daniel. And so Jesus was, it was a tip of the hat saying, I'm the one Daniel was talking about. So when we read our text today, this Olivet Discourse, he says, Then will appear in heaven the sign of the Son of Man. And then all the tribes of the earth will mourn. And they will see the son of man coming on the clouds of heaven is he coming down or is he ascending which way is he going we tend to think of him as coming down because we know that he will come on the clouds in the same way he ascended but i don't think that's what he's referring to here and i'm willing to be wrong but i'm going to go with nt Wright on this one and he makes the case that it's a reference to daniel 7. now listen to the son of man on the clouds in daniel 7 just two verses Daniel says, I saw in night visions, and behold, with the clouds of heaven, there came one like a son of man, and he came to the Ancient of Days, capital A, capital D, probably referencing God the Father, and he was presented before him. So the sign of the son of man is that the son of man is brought before God the Father in the clouds, and he's given dominion. It says, to him was given dominion and glory and a kingdom that all people's nations and languages should serve him. His dominion is an everlasting dominion, which shall not pass away, and his kingdom one that shall not be destroyed. You see, I think in this Olivet Discourse, he's starting with that one. And he's saying, before this generation passes away, you are going to see the Son of Man go on the clouds to the Ancient of Days and be given dominion to rule. That's the ascension of Jesus. He died, he rose, and ascended to the Father's right hand in his ruling unseen is ruling the universe right now the kingdom has already come he inaugurated it but it is not yet fully consummated all things have not yet been put to right not everything is in subjection to our lord we're in this in between the already but not yet the scholars call it so he's he's saying the immediate future belongs to me and the distant future belongs to me And for those of us, again, on this side of the cross and resurrection, this is greatly encouraging because you know what? Past performance is the best indication of future behavior. I don't care what you say. I want to know what you did, and that will tell me what you're going to do. Jesus made promises, and then they all came true in that generation. Exactly what he said happened. The Son of Man will be handed over to suffering and death. He will be raised on the third day. He will ascend to the father we say it in the creed every week we remind ourselves of these truths about who our god is who jesus is this is an incredible vindication of him and all of his promises frankly i think the the reference to all the elect is about the global mission you know his angels angelos the greek word can mean messengers as well right after pentecost the church started going out on mission and The church has been growing for 2,000 years. The elect, those that are chosen by God, are being brought into the kingdom day by day in huge numbers still. In fact, it's one of the greatest apologetics for the faith is that the church continues to thrive despite persecution and restrictions and everything else. The church is strong and getting stronger because Jesus is behind it, because all of this is true. So people from the four corners of the earth are coming to faith In the lord through the death of jesus i think that's what this is referring to so we have a vindication of jesus we have global mission and we have the pentecost power the anointing of the holy spirit is causing the effectiveness of the preaching of the gospel to transform lives and bring people to faith all this is happening and that's the short term then there's the long term now the next paragraph it says no one knows the day and hour that's right Nobody knows it. So anybody that's caught up in speculation is bordering on blasphemy, right? You're playing God. Only the Father knows when the Son is going to return. Not even the angels. He didn't even tell the heavenly court what the date is and the time. But what he says is, you stay awake. You be ready. If you knew when the thief was going to come break into your house, you wouldn't let him break in. You'd be sitting there ready to defend your house. But he comes when you don't expect it. And Jesus goes two more chapters, or all, 24 and then 25, all telling parables and examples of how to be ready. Don't be caught asleep. Pay attention. Simply stay awake. Now, what's the application of the truth that the future belongs to Jesus? I'm gonna give you three application points. One is you don't have to put all your hope in this life. You know, more and better is coming. This life will not fully satisfy. There is greater in store for you. Our minds cannot conceive how great it is. And so we have these metaphors of scripture and we talk about words like paradise and mansion in the father's house and these kind of things because we really can't understand how great it is. And that's okay. But it means don't put all your hopes in this life because this life will come up short. It doesn't matter if you check everything off your so-called bucket list. It doesn't matter if you get to see the, the pyramids or whatever you long to see. Those things will pale in comparison when the true glory appears. So you don't have to put everything in here. We, we have four readings each week. We sang the psalm today, which was this picture of a psalm of ascent going up to God's house, to his temple, to his perfected temple. In Isaiah, it talks about spears, instruments of war, being turned into pruning hooks instead of being warriors, we'll be gardeners. We'll tend an apple tree. We'll prune branches. We will have a a fruitful image. Again, this is symbolism. It's not like you're literally going to be a farmer, although you might be. This is one of those places where it's like, I I don't quite know. You know, gardening would be really fun if the garden worked for you instead of against you. (laughs) It's pretty fun now, but how much better would it be if everything that was supposed to grow did? So, pruning hooks instead of spears, and instead of swords, they're going to be lined up and put into a plow to plow up the sod instead of fight and kill people. This is a picture of things to come. Our hope is not in this life. It's in what is to come. In fact, in verse 35 of, of the Olivet Discourse, he says, heaven and earth will pass away, but my words will not pass away. Earth is passing away. The present order as we know it is not going to go on forever. So let's not put our hopes in something that's passing away, right? Second application point is, You don't have to worry about the future the scriptures show us how good jesus is how capable he is as a lord and how much god loves us god so loved the world that he gave his son right this is a god of love a god of competence a god of goodness he cares for us as his children so we don't and jesus says don't worry about the future don't worry about tomorrow tomorrow will worry for itself you just focus on today i've got the future The future belongs to Jesus and his word was vindicated at the resurrection. So he says things are going to happen in the future. And we know that we can trust them because the things that he's said earlier did come true. That's really good for us. This is good news. Now, don't have to worry. Don't put your hope in this life. Don't have to worry about the future. And the third thing is, but you should pay attention to the present. Not only does the future belong to Jesus, the present belongs to Jesus. What do we say in the mystery of faith? Christ has died, Christ is risen, and Christ will come again. He is the Lord ruling right now. He's in charge of things. And so how you live actually matters to him. And there's instruction about this. Our our reading from Romans 13 um, puts it very clearly. The Apostle Paul says, you know the time that the hour has come for you to wake up from sleep. For salvation is nearer to us now than when we first believed. In other words, today is one day closer to when Christ returns. Tomorrow, if he doesn't come today, we'll be one more day closer. Every single day you're getting closer. So wake up. You know what time it is. It could be at any time. I like how he says salvation is nearer to us now than when we first believed. Sometimes we think of getting saved as a a prayer of conversion or the internal mystery of the regeneration of the Holy Spirit making a dead person alive, which we kind of don't know exactly when that happens. But he seems to see salvation as being when Christ puts all things right. So we both get saved when we believe, but we're in a process of being saved. There's a transformation happening to the person who comes to faith. And so there's a putting off and a putting on. Here, the Apostle Paul says, "Cast off the works of darkness," and he mentions orgies and drunkenness and sexual immorality and sensuality. You know, it's a good Sunday when those words are said in the church. It's real, right? These are the works of darkness, and he's saying, "Cast them off." He says, "Make no provision for the for the flesh." In other words, we make provisions for, let's say, a road trip. We have got to put a cooler together, get stuff ready. We've got to pack. We need change of clothes, all that sort of stuff. We're We're planning for something. He's saying, don't plan for those other appetites. Make no provision for them. Don't put a lot of thought process into how you're going to indulge what your body wants. Instead, cast off the works of darkness and put on Christ. Put on Christ like a garment. Instead of wearing the darkness of the world, cast off all that darkness and put on Christ, the love of Christ, the character of him, his mission his spirit that he gives us. Walk by the spirit, and you won't gratify the desires of the flesh. All this is what is involved in being saved. It's becoming more and more like Christ. It's a slow process over time. It's been 2,000 years and counting. We have to live. I'm not telling you to, you know, cancel your life insurance and cash out of your retirement. I'm not saying that. We do need to plan for the future, but we need to live as though today could be the last day, So we don't wanna get caught up in a forward obsession. We wanna be wise, exercise wisdom, but we wanna live in this moment for today, recognizing God is working on our character, helping us become more and more like Christ, and we have work to do in that. So stay awake, church. Jesus could be coming back today. Put on Christ, put off those other things. And back to the Simon Says thing, don't let the world distract you from the important thing. Pay attention, don't wait for his return live for his glory now, then you'll be ready. Would you pray with me? Lord, thank you for your control of all history. Thank you for taking away the worry that we're tempted to to pick up from this world. Lord, I ask that you would encourage us today and renew our commitment to you. Holy Spirit, you've got to help us do this. We don't have the strength in in ourselves. So I'm thankful. I'm thankful for the good news. I'm thankful for the word of God, and I'm thankful for your presence here with us. Nourish us this morning as we worship you. I pray this in the mighty name of Jesus. Amen.